The high-pitched clink echoed through the cafe as the man put down his cup. Raising and rotating his left arm at the same time, he gazed at his watch. 2340. He left exact change for his coffee and walked out into the cold of the night. Reaching into his pocket, he took out a cigarette and a lighter. His face glowed orange as he lit up and began the ten-minute walk back to his small hotel room. Closing the door behind him, he walked to his bag and pulled out a shortwave radio. The man then took a book out of his pocket. This is a one-of-a-kind book made specifically for him. A crypto key. The only true way to pass secret messages. Tuning into 4961 kilohertz, he waited as a pulsating buzz came out of the speaker. Within a few minutes, a song started, then a woman read a poem. Byron, maybe. And then a sequence of numbers were read, five numbers and a pause, and so on, until another song came on. Opera this time. And the buzz returned. He decoded the message, burned the page of numbers, and went to sleep. Welcome to Quill and Dagger, where nothing's off topic. Please subscribe so you won't have to go looking for our show, and we'll download automatically to your favorite listening device, except maybe the phonograph. And please give us five stars on the platform of choice. Um, we want you to help us make this a great show and welcome your comments. Okay, well, we'll give Patrick a break. This is his first show. He's rocking around like, you know, he's a weeble wobble. So he's having a little hard time with that, but that's okay. We're here about the experience. Now, I have a question. What is something you would want on Patreon, an exclusive? What, what type of things? Some people offer shows without advertising. Some people saw, offer extra interviews. Some people offer t-shirts. Whatever. Give us a hint. Send us an email. Uh, look us up. Drop a comment. Outtakes. Outtakes. That'll be wonderful. Yes. Okay, so, Patrick, what we got this week? Uh, number stations. And espionage. Okay, so, what... There's some of the coolest relics still being used today in the spy world, in the espionage world. It's hard to believe that we're in this digital age and something as simple as a radio station, a shortwave radio station, is uh, what they're using. And they are intriguing... Nonetheless, the basic understanding of number stations is a code transmissions. I don't mean commuter code, because I know when I say Patrick, who is, you know, I'll be honest with you, Patrick is my son, and uh, he's 13, and when I say code, he thinks... Uh, bloop, bloop, uh, computer. Right, so we're not talking that, we're talking like secret code, like, you know, you use your de- your captain decoder ring, it's, it's cryptography, and... Uh, so it's like, you know, your decoder ring, right, Patrick? Uh, I don't know what that is. Well, a long time ago, cereal in the morning came with little trinkets in it. And one of the things they had was a decoder ring. And you would like, it would slide and it would have all 26 letters on the, and you would like match the, the number to the letter and then you could go back and forth and then you would decipher the message. So it's, uh, it's really, you know, nothing more than that. 
But so a number station is a shortwave radio station known for sending random sets of numbers, music, and cryptic messages believed to be addressed to intelligence agents operating in foreign countries. Okay, where was I? Sorry, we had to take a break there. We're recording this in Florida, where it's 150 degrees outside, and in order to make sure that it's as quiet as possible, we've turned off the ceiling fan, the air conditioner, well, we've closed the vent to the air conditioner, so as we talk, it's going to get hotter and hotter, so if we start to sound like we're sweating, it's probably because we are. Uh, I'm already sweating. Yes, yes, I got that. Okay, so cryptography. You know, or coded messages. This dates as far back as Caesar and Rome. You know who Caesar is? Uh, a salad. Okay, see? Again, he doesn't know that. But he knows who Caesar is. He's actually been there in, to Rome. I mean, he hasn't seen Caesar. Well, the idea is to get information to your man in the field without anyone knowing about it. Now, cryptography has developed tremendously over time to include specific cipher types. All you need to know is the key. Some of these ciphers, well, some of these ciphers are quite basically the first one really is the Caesar cipher. You know, this plain text characters are, uh, they're replaced by other characters. So you would make a list and it'd be like E is equal to A. And so every time you see an E, you would write an A. And it's a very weak technique. It's easily solvable. I mean, I could probably solve it. I mean, I'm, I'm not really good at word puzzles, but I could maybe solve it. I got a little handshake over there. You think you could solve it? No, I just know that you can't. Okay. So, <clears throat> then there's like uh, the monoalphabetic cipher. It's like the Caesar cipher, except each letter can be replaced with any letter that is not the original letter. Okay. For example, A can be replaced by anything B to Z. But in the Caesar cipher, A could actually stand for A and just mess with you. It doesn't have to be a code. But in a monoalphabetic cipher, you can't use an A to stand for an A. You have to use a different letter of the alphabet. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I whispered. Yes, Patrick whispered. The homophonic substitution cipher is similar to the monoalphabetic cipher, except the substitutions are fixed. Each new cipher builds upon the previous one, or several layers to add a complexity to the code. Now, this continues on, and there's many different types of ciphers as they go, and they start using numbers, and then they start using symbols and numbers and letters, and pretty soon you have ciphers that even the CIA can't crack. Now, there are several unsolved ciphers still out there. Some promising treasure, like the Beale Papers. So, you heard of those? No. No? Well, let me just mess with your world and tell you, we are not going treasure hunting. Okay. So, legend tells us, if you can solve this, you can find a treasure of gold buried in Virginia. What? Who would want to go to Virginia? Somebody looking for gold. Now, listen, we don't want to... No, we love Virginia... Virginia, Virginia. We love Virginia. West Virginia. So what it is, is a uh, uh, country road. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the it's a wagon full of gold. And he wrote this pamphlet. And in the, he put these, these ciphers, okay? This like block text of pages of just random, can't understand it. Now, like the first page has been deciphered. They used, uh, I think it was the Declaration of Independence. 
And the type of cipher it was is where it would have, you know, a number or it would have a number, a comma, then another number. So it'd mean like one or one comma 53. Okay. Or one comma seven comma 82. So it could mean like the first page and the 53rd letter. Or the next one would be like the first page, the fifth line, the 73rd letter. And you would just do that, and then that would unscramble the, the uh, message. So the problem with the Beale cipher is nobody knows what the keys are. They got one, Declaration of Independence. But, you know, they've tried everything else, the Constitution. You know, it's like, well, obviously he likes America, so he's using American stuff. Well, maybe not. We don't know. Do they try all laws from the time period back? Well, it was Did in the Middle East. the Magna Carta? Did they try British things? I mean, that's that's a good thing, but, you know, if he uses the Declaration of Independence, he might not like British things. Yeah, but our Constitution was based off the Magna Carta, so he probably went back to the original source. Don't you think somebody's thought of that? Yeah, it's probably. It's been around for like 150 years, and yeah. nobody's found it. Yeah, it like, could just be some guy having a laugh. Yeah, it probably is, because I've so, got the wagons going. Someone probably already found the gold. They could. I mean, if I found it, I would not tell anyone. If I found the gold, I would be running around like a madman. I know. I, I I know that. You you wouldn't do anything nice to like pay off your parents' house. No, you'd just buy Lego Titanic. I know. Yes, yes I would. <laughs> okay, so uh, the Zodiac. Now, before I get into this debate with this person in front of me, he's going to argue that the Zodiac Killer has been identified. And I'm going to argue that through circumstantial evidence, they have a really really good idea who it was but it hasn't been what you would call absolute proven okay so it's a bunch of old people who got together because they were still bored and tried to solve a mystery and this is what they came up with that's my take on the zodiac killer so we're gonna go with the zodiac killer now the identity of the zodiac killer is unknown to this day they are theories like people think they know who db cooper is it's gary and db cooper we know was loki sorry spoiler alert Anyway, if you haven't watched Loki on Disney, you should really get to it because, you know. We're not advertising for them. Sorry, that's right. Okay. <clears throat> so, the self-dubbed Zodiac sent a series of taunting messages to the police and newspapers which contained four cipher text. Okay. One of these has been decrypted. Now, do you know the story about that? It was with two school teachers. One night sat down at the dinner table and just worked out the solution. And then that's how they figured out the first cipher. You ever heard that? I have now. Yeah, that, that's how they did it. It was actually just, hey, honey, let's yeah, I'm bored. Let's, let's try to find a serial killer. Serial and killer? so money, definitely. So and and this cipher is shown to be a, a a homophobic substitution cipher using 57 characters to encrypt 23 letters. So some of the characters and letters had different. Some of the letters had different characters. So it's incredibly confusing. And solving the remainder cipher, they think, could lead to the identity of the text. Because it, the Zodiac actually says, if you solve all this, I, it will identify me. I don't, know th- I don't think Gary is in there. Okay? Hey, it could be Gary or Gray. Who knows? Gary or Greg? Gar- no, it's four letters. It either is Gary or Gray. I don't know how they're spelled. Because in England, it's spelled with an E, I'm pretty sure. And here it's spelled with an A. We know. I'll tell you something about that. What? There's actually two different colors. G-R-A-Y and G-R-E-Y. Now, E-Y has more of a gray tinge to it, and A-Y has more of a blue tinge to it. So they're actually two different colors incredibly close. To- See? You learn something every day. Who hurt you? What? Who hurt you? Oh, 
many people. And another one, you might have heard about this one, is it's the Vonich manuscript. Now, he didn't write it, he just owned it. It's a 15th century, century Italian uh, book. It was purchased by a dealer named Wilfred Vonich in the 1912. The 240-page manuscript has been labeled one of the world's most interesting manuscripts. Why? Because they don't know what it says. It's written in looks like a foreign language. And it's got drawings of plants that don't exist in this universe that we know of. We're not going to go with aliens. And then there's cryptos. Now, when the CIA built their new headquarters, they added all kinds of CIA stuff there. And one of the things they did is they put a sculpture called cryptos. And it consists of four ciphers. It was a challenge to the CIA solve these and they had to look at these things every it's like a 10 foot by like 20 feet piece it looks like a piece of paper that's kind of wavy and it's got four sections and they're all little ciphers they're all and only three of them been solved so this artist you know he came up with this cipher and he or somebody came up for him and he carved it into this sculpture and put it from the cia and the cia hasn't been able to solve it and it's been like 30 years they must be yeah. really good at their jobs. No, actually, you know, they're really good at their jobs, but you got to think about it. If one person comes up with one idea on how to create one cipher and doesn't let anyone know anything about it and it's completely unique, no one's ever going to solve it, right? I mean, they should be at least good enough at their jobs to do this. Okay, so, you know, that's a brief history of crypto cipher techniques. Yeah, I forgot what it was called. Crypto what, what? Cryptography. Cryptography. That is a bit about cryptography. Now, I want to get back to this number station. So, uh, <clears throat> what is a number station and how does it work? So, a number station is a shortwave radio station known for sending random sets of numbers, music, and cryptic messages believed to be addressed to intelligence agents operating in foreign countries. You have a man behind the lines, you got a woman over here, she's in this village, and you can't get to him, so you just broadcast it on the radio. Sure, the world can hear you, but they don't know what you're saying. Genius. It, it really is. You know, for example, and that's my example is what I just did. You have an asset in Prague, and you need to give him a message. So before you left, you gave him a book, and there's only one little book. And you have, one, actually, there's two little books. There's one little book that he has, and you have the other little book. Okay, and, and the pages, they look like a Sudoku puzzle with letters mixed in. Now, at a predetermined time, it could be like every third Tuesday at noon, turn on your radio. And so he would turn on the radio, and then he would get a message. The message might, it might say nothing. It might say something. You don't know. He just turns it on to listen to see what's going on. He's living his life. He's got to be at work and everything. So, you know, that's how good, good spies do it. You don't see them coming until they've already left. So... He gets a message and he would decode the message. This is a break-proof code. Only the sender and the receiver have a copy of the books. And I saw this movie, one, believe it or not, it was called Number Stations. Oh. And the paper they used was flash paper. Oh, that sounds fun. So it could be like, okay, and it just goes up in flame really quick. And if the book was taken, it would be no use. Because you wouldn't know the system of coding. You wouldn't understand everything. Like you said, genius. And it dates back a long time. It dates back to the 19th century. Now, for the 19th century. Yeah, I'm not going to explain what that is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, they transmitted in the 19th century, they transmitted through all electrical wire. That's how it all got started. And then the telegraph, and then the telephone. And when radio appeared on the scene, 
At the turn of the century, at the 20th century, so this was like in the 1900s, the military quickly put it to use. The Germans intercepted radio transmissions of orders in what they call in the clear. Now, in the clear means not coded. So they were just talking. Yes, we are, sir. Yes, yes, sir. We are going to go over here and, and do this to the German, sir, commander, commandant, comrade, friend, man. And the, the Germans said, hey, you should listen to this. This sounds very interesting. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So we learned really early on that you got to code your messages or else the Germans are going to find out what you're saying. Or actually, the world will find out what you're saying and know what the Russians are having for dinner. So the first use of a coded number station was during the last years of World War One, And they were sent using, can you guess? Can you guess the cipher they used? Morse code. Yes, not really much of a cipher. Uh, it's more of a, let's just hope they didn't study in radio class type of cipher. Of course, i got to be honest. If you were to send me a, a Morse code message, I wouldn't know what you're I know SOS. What's it? Dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, 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 or the other way around. So I'd no, have to, you were correct the first time. I'd have to vary it just to make sure that I was getting SOS. What does SOS stand for? It stands for nothing. Then why is it there? Because it, it's not abbreviated for anything, so it was a blank slate. So they probably used it for that reason. Well, couldn't they have just used like... Also, think about it. If you're in a pinch, isn't it easy to just go, one, two, three... One, two, three, one, two, three. Instead of just doing something more weird. Well, I, I mean, imagine if you know Morse code, it's all kind of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, I just said a whole thing and you don't know what it was. In a pinch, it's easier to just do like a little small nine thing instead of like having to do something way more complicated. They were using Morse code, but they were broadcasting in a low and medium frequencies, okay? Then shortwave came into use in the 1920s. Now, when we talk low and medium and shortwave, radio signals go out in waves, like think of the ocean. And short waves are really long, okay? What we're used to when we listen to AM and FM is they're going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down really fast. But a short wave is really long, so it can travel really far. And at night, it'll actually bounce off the ionosphere and completely go around the Earth. That's why shortwave is used and why you can pick up stuff if you don't have a shortwave radio. It's kind of entertaining. I mean, especially if you can speak foreign languages. But it's, a, it's why they use shortwave. So, and that came into use, like I said, in the 20s. And it's been used ever since. Now, the use of these stations didn't really flourish until the Cold War. So, roughly about the end of uh, World War II, when intelligence assets, they became... Like foot soldiers. They were the people on the ground. We didn't have troops. Nobody had troops on the ground. They had spies everywhere. You know, they had spies. James Bond was out there, but not James Bond because he's a horrible spy. Actually, uh, James Bond is a code name. He is actually the world's best spy because that is not his real name. Okay, not knowing the spy's name is not a is not a code is not a make him the best spy. He's the worst spy because everywhere he went, he blew up everything. The point of the spy is to get in, get your information, and get out. Because if the other people know that you know their stuff, they're going to change their stuff. Yeah, but like if everyone's dead, then they can't exactly do much. But it's not like he blows up their headquarters. You know, it's like he blows up whatever it is they're working on, not like their headquarters. So the the, the leaders always get away. You know, uh, I mean, it's genius storytelling. Dr. No is still out there somewhere. Who's that? Exactly. Dr. No was the first movie villain. When was that, the 1930s? No, it was 
60s? In the 60s, yeah. Oh. They did this with with uh, number stations, talking to things. And this has been confirmed through the Czech Ministry of the Interior and the Swedish Security Service. They both acknowledge that they've used number stations and that Czechoslovakia had used, used number stations for espionage. You know, the Swiss, the Swedish, sorry, uh, you know, both start with S. It's really easy. But the S- Swedish? Swedish espionage? I mean, really, I thought they were like Volvo and Fish, right? Yeah, I mean, like, they had, they, they do have some pretty good fish. I mean, I, I guess that's good espionage if nobody even knows you're playing the game. I mean, to be fair, they do have pretty good Ikeas. I'd give them my secrets. You would? Yeah. Well, okay. Yes. As long as they're, as, you know, I don't know. As if if their secrets come as the directions come, it could be a little confusing sometimes. Yeah. I don't know where they get their names. Uh, uh, they're, they're called Swedish. I know they're Swedish names. They're 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 sweet. They're nice names. We love IKEA. Yes, I, so. all praise IKEA. You know, we have advertised for so many different people in this one show. I'm sure we've done that very poorly, and it probably probably should stop doing that. So we'll just call it the. Uh, give us money so we can actually pretend that we're being paid. Yeah. No. Okay. We've talked all this time about number stations. So. What are they? Where are they? How can you hear them? Well, we got that covered. So some of the notable number stations, they're called, one is called Echo 03, or the Lincolnshire Poacher. Why? Not sure. But this powerful shortwave radio station, or number station, was operated by the British, and it transmitted from Cyprus, which, which is, is nowhere near Britain, but, you know, it operated in the mid-1960s to June 2008. I was born then. In the mid-1960s or 2008. Either one. Okay. It comes from... Well, actually, here you go. It would broadcast a pre-recorded uh, English-accented female voice reading a group of five numbers, and the last one being a pitch higher. So it'd be like, one, two, three, four, five. I think that's how it would go. That's the pitch higher, right? That sounds nothing like the recording I listened to. Okay, well, we should get those and play that. Okay, that was the Lincolnshire Poacher. So now I don't think the five was a higher pitch than the three, five, seven, blah, blah, blah. You're 47. You can't hear the noise. I know, but could you tell? Yes, I mean, that, was, definitely. So that, that was essentially the same message being sent over and over and over to make sure they, they whoever it was intended for got it, right? Yes. So it starts out with the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and then it does the numbers. I mean, I guess that it's pretty effective, wouldn't you? Do you think that's a... I mean, I guess we discussed how effective that would be. I mean, do you think that would work? I mean, yeah, as long as they, the, as long as the person is hard of hearing. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it went to 2008. I mean, uh, I, I guess they're still reliable. I remember... I think this happened in reality, and I, and I also saw it on a TV show. But it was... They were, it was about how... I mean, you know, TV show, a lot of that's based on real life. And they... The concept is they were trying to figure out how terrorists were talking to each other because they weren't using number stations. They weren't using email. They weren't using 
texting. They weren't using Snapchat. They weren't using any of that. You've heard this. So what? how do they talk to each other? Uh, I can think of two ways. One, yeah. they talked to each other. No, they didn't just pick up the phone and call. They mailed each other, probably. Nope. They threw rocks with papers to stick to them. No, they talked across the world to each other in real time. And they couldn't figure out how. You know they had the phrase, think outside the box? Yeah. It really took somebody to go. They made a different kind of connection. What, what was the connection? The connection was is that the people that they were looking in seemed to play a lot of video games. They were talking over voice channels. Yeah. Which was not being monitored by any government agency because it's video games. I'm sure it's monitored now, so watch what you're saying. If Trust me, I feel like they would have given them over five minutes of being in a Call of Duty lobby. Well, I don't know if anybody's listening to this. Let's go play Minecraft and whatever, you know. Let's go use some Discord. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean they're always going to go after the, the, the new ways of doing things. And, and what I've learned in life is that sometimes the simplest, you know, Occam's Razor. Sometimes the simplest way is the is the answer. There's an open line of communication. You just gotta be bad at a video game or play a video game, and you can talk to your assets out in the field. Yeah, because like someone just opens up Call of Duty Mobile and they're like, "Yes, hello. We are currently bombing Berlin." Yeah, let's not say that. Okay, I did not just say that. Okay, no, that's the British one. So we gave you one on uh, on from the Allies, you know, and now we're gonna go the other way and talk about. Another well-known number station. This one's called the Buzzer. Okay, it's or UVB76. Now, it broadcasts a short, monotonous buzz tone repeating, and it's just like, and we'll play for it here in a second. And it just broadcasts this all day long. So here's a sample of the buzz part. So that's the buzzer. It literally just buzzes. Uh, we couldn't find any of the uh, fancy opera stuff that we've read about, but yes. it just stops and does more or less what the the British version did, except with this time a Russian accent as opposed to a. Actually, I think they speak Russian, so they do speak Russian. Yeah. Okay. So they wouldn't. I guess they could still have a Russian accent and speak Russian because British people have a British accent when they speak British. Boom. Yes, so what, what about, what have you heard about the, the station through your research? Through my research, um, that it's used by Russians, and it's used to primarily communicate within Russia from, like, Moscow to, like, any, really anywhere else, probably in Siberia. So it's not really used to talk to, they're talking to Russians inside of Russia. I mean, to be fair, it might as well be its own country. I mean, it, that Russia is its own country. No, I mean, like, there might as well be two different countries. We got... The the east, and then you have the west. Yeah. I'm, the east part is not really Russian. It's more of just cold. Okay. We'll, we'll work with that. Now, the most of what we know about number stations comes from uh, amateur radio enthusiast and the public world. You, if Without them, we wouldn't know how the, they've really taken off. And actually, North Korea has uh, started broadcasting. They started broadcasting in July of 2016. I'm not sure how they pay for the power bill, but they, they're trying the whole number station. So we'll see if, if that does anything for them. And it's believed that the buzzer, you know, I got it right here. It's in, for internal use only. 
The theory is is that the buzzers used how Moscow talks to military units and controls movement of said military units inside the country. So what I'm hearing is I'm psychic. No, you're not at all. Oh. Throughout history, these number stations have become a valuable way to distribute information to secret agents, and they continue to do that. They mystify the public. We think they're spooky and they're eerie, and they're not. They're really not, but they just, they they, they are. I mean, it's... They're five numbers and a funny accent. I don't know how to, to what a good description of something that's not spooky, but you feel spooky, even though it's not spooky, but it's like, oh, wow. Yes. The dark. The dark. So apparently, if you're in the dark, it feels spooky. So it's like that number stations are like the dark, all-encompassing. Yes. But I think they're going to be around for a long time. Uh, I don't see any change in the tactic. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what they say. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So, I mean, what do you think? Um, I think that they are a fascinating way that people communicate. Well, mainly spies communicate. Spies are not people. Now, now here's a question for you. Number stations are, are what I guess we could call them low-tech, right? I mean, I mean they're yeah. using technology that's 100, 100 plus years old, right? Yes. So that could be considered low-tech? Yeah. Considering you can, based on whatever we have in this room, you could build a radio. I mean, yeah. Okay. You haven't heard of Gilligan's Island, but the professor could do it with two coconuts. Just know that it's possible. But do you, as a as a young person in 2022, do you see that there can be a benefit to looking back at low-tech things to be more efficient? I mean, I want to point to an example within gaming where, like, when you, like, with some gaming consoles, like, take the NES, you can you can manage to get them to output to modern-day TVs mm-hmm. instead of their standard CRT, and the colors are actually more vibrant on a CRT because, you know, they were designed for the CRT, not a modern-day television. It's like... CRT is cathode ray tube. So you're talking like the really big ones that, you know, a 30-inch CRT TV costs like $5,000 and weighs 800 pounds. Yes, I'm talking about that. Okay. It could kill you if you're unlucky. uh, Yes, I'm sure it has. I don't want to even know that statistic, but I'm sure there is one. At least two. Okay. So other than video games, you got any other ideas of how low technology or, I don't know, backwards compatibility type stuff can, can benefit or looking forward in the future. I mean, right now, I guess the future... Well, you know, everybody always thinks the future's bleak. I mean, George Orwell thought the future was bleak when he wrote that book, 1984. Yes. And there's not very many optimistic futures. Star Trek. But Star, Star Trek, Trek has, a, has a bleak middle, and then we get the TV shows during the happy times, and then it's bleak after that. So, yeah. I'm not... Look, the future's scary. I don't... You know, let's just stop... Going to the future. Back Let's to the past. Back to the past? Yes. I'm with you. Brand new, brand new franchise. I'm, I'm with you. Franchise. <clears throat> now, uh, now, thanks for listening to us babble on, okay? Yes. Or blither or anything like that. Blubber. Blubber, yeah. Thanks for listening to Quill and Dagger and, and help, us get our, help us get our name out there. Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. You can help us out by going to our Patreon page. All the information you need is in the show notes. Just click over there and you can follow the page. Boom, 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 boom. Done. And we'll help. And it'll help because right now we have a computer that only accepts one microphone. And that's really difficult to uh, do podcasting with more than one person with a computer that's nine years old and has one microphone. But it's a very nice microphone. It's older than me. 
the micro the microphone is not older than you. The computer is. Yeah, so the computer is older than you. Yes. In a way, yeah. But thanks for listening. You got any final thoughts for the folks? Uh, please invest. Okay, in. we're not, we're not begging for any more money. You got any final thoughts for the folks? Oh, uh, final thoughts. Um, we've had a great time here. We hope you also have a great time listening to this. Have a nice day, I guess. And make sure you check out episode three. We're going to talk about a little town in Missouri. But there's a dead guy. Well, there's a dead guy. 47 people saw it. Nobody it saw a thing. I thought it was 60. It could have been 60. I've read multiple reports. But anyway, it's the vigilante town of Missouri. Does the town Take have care. a name? That's, that's its name. Take care. Oh. Stop talking. Okay, I'll try it.